Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. Nobody was questioning why we were selling this idea to moms that if you had a hard day or the kids were especially challenging or you were running around driving kids from place to place, that the perfect solution for you was to have a glass or two or a bottle of wine every night. My guest today is named Kristen Michalizzi. She is a mindset and empowerment coach, and she is also the host of the Warrior Within Us podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you on. Thank you. My name is Kristen Michalizzi. I am a mom of four. I don't know why we always start with that, but it is what it is. (laughs) I'm a mom of four kids. I live outside of Boston, Massachusetts in a tiny little town up by the New Hampshire border on the East Coast. And I really appreciate being here. And I love what you do and what you talk about. And I'm happy to be here. I'm so excited to talk with you. So happy you're able to make it on today. And it sounds like we are in kind of the same area as far as our podcasts go. You have the warrior within us and you talk about all kinds of different challenges and struggles in life. And then my show talking about struggles with addiction and mental health. It seems like we're kind of in that same vein of of podcasts. So I'm excited to talk with you and hear more about your story. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was thinking a little bit before I came on just about like that very question, like where, where to begin. And usually I begin like talking about when I decided to give up alcohol, which was back in January of 2020. But I think lately I've been reflecting a lot on the very beginning, which was growing up sort of how alcohol fit into my family life. and where it all really began. And so for me, I go all the way back to when I was probably in late elementary school, maybe even junior high. And I had a brother who had some early challenges with alcohol. And so for me, I avoided it at the time when most of the people my age were starting to experiment because I felt as though that was sort of how I stood out. Like I thought if I could be sort of the shining example of like what to do right, that I would get attention for that. You know, my brother, when my parents discovered that he 
was drinking, sent him to AA. Like, and he was probably a freshman in high school. I think it was sort of like a scared straight situation, which didn't scare him at all. It probably scared me more. So like I said, because of his sort of path and journey, I decided I was going to be the good girl and stay away from alcohol probably until maybe senior year in high school. And it was at that time that I, I think I thought like, well, this is a a more appropriate time to like start drinking. Like this is, this is when it's probably a little bit more socially acceptable, you know, probably won't get into as much trouble. And so that's when I started drinking. And for me, the part of it that I've been reflecting on is it really was my sort of gateway into being socially accepted. So I finally felt like for so long, and I don't think people knew this about me, but for so long, I just felt like I didn't really fit in. And even though I like joined every club in high school, I was like an athlete. So I played sports. It didn't seem like from the outside, I had a problem socially, but I felt it from the inside. And so for me, alcohol was like, wow, like I, I fit in now. Like I am having fun with people that I didn't think really accepted me um, fully into their circles. And it also opened or started a, a deeper connection with my siblings. So I have three older brothers, two stepbrothers and a a brother with the same mom and dad. And I could hang with them now. Like they thought I was cool because I was drinking with them. I think it was important for me now to go back to like, sort of think about what alcohol did for me so that I could kind of understand why I loved it so much. (laughs) If that makes any sense. Oh no, that makes that makes so much sense, and I feel like you were sharing part of my story there. You know, I, kind of the same time frame for me, and and it sounds like similar emotions, not feeling that sense of belonging and connection, and just feeling kind of alien and not feeling comfortable in those social social situations and being around other people. I I relate to that a hundred percent. And it's interesting because I'm, I guess now I would identify myself as like. An intro, an extroverted introvert. Oh yeah, same. I like seem like I have no anxiety when it comes to interacting with other people, but that's all from the outside. That's like sort of a masking trait, I would say, because for me it was really hard to feel accepted. So when I was drinking, it was just a way to feel to let some of those inhibitions down, but also just like it made me cool. <laughs> it made me like people want to be around me. So I took it and ran with it for many, many years, you know, and then after high school, I went to college and, um, I was the first college I went to was far away from home and I only lasted one semester and then I came home. And then when I came home, I went to community college for a year, then stepped out and went to a state school. I went to UMass and that was like living away from home. And again, like I fell into the comforts that alcohol provided me. I think it's, this is why it's so important to like have these conversations because I didn't think it was abnormal that I was like throwing up every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. 
I thought that's just part of life. Like that's, that's acceptable because that's what everybody is doing. Where I would see that sort of as a red flag, it was never presented as a red flag. It was just like, no, you're a college kid. That's what we do. Like we get drunk, we throw up, you know, we don't remember half the night and it's funny and it's fun. And it just makes you part of this group of people that are all doing the same thing. So, you know, I think it, it, it didn't appear to myself or anyone else that, that that was a problem. That was just like what we did. Yeah. And I think that that's such a, a good point to bring up. And I think that there's, especially cause I got, I got clean early on. I was 23, but I think that, I think that's kind of the thing that it, it's hard at that age to figure out if you have a problem, because it seems like that's kind of the, the social norm at that age and that college age is to party and drink and kind of experiment and, and do those things. And it's hard to know if it's just like a phase or if you're going to end up struggling with that later on. So I, I totally understand that. And it just seems like in our society that that's just been so normalized for college students to, to do those things. Mm. And that sort of led me to adulthood, even though my life transitioned into obviously a different way of doing things. My relationship with alcohol didn't really change that much. So I, you know, got married, I bought the house, I started having babies, and it still was sort of the centerpiece of life. It's like it may have evolved from going to a house party or, you know, sneaking alcohol into a dorm room. It actually probably was access wise a little bit easier to just be like, no, now your life is going to revolve around like when you make plans with your friends, it's going to be where are we going to go to dinner and where are we going to have drinks? So it just sort of went from one sort of acceptable way of drinking to another sort of acceptable way of drinking. You know, I think it was further sort of exacerbated by motherhood because I, you know, had babies in the height of like mommy wine culture when it was really perfectly nobody was questioning why we were selling this idea to moms that if you had a hard day or the kids were especially challenging or you were running around driving kids from place to place, that the perfect solution for you was to have a glass or two or a bottle of wine every night. So I think it sort of just morphed into from one acceptable way to have a relationship with alcohol into another societally acceptable way to have a relationship with alcohol. And that's what it was for me. My husband and I talk about how when, so I have a child with significant um, special needs. He's 13 now. And when he was born, we discovered that he wasn't meeting his milestones. So he went primarily undiagnosed for like the first seven years of his life, but he had significant challenges. So he is nonverbal. He's non-ambulatory. He can't sit up on his own. And then I ended up having two more boys after him. So I had my daughter, then him, and then two more boys. And people would say to my husband, and I, how do you do it? How do you, how do you manage it all? Like, and we still get that, right? Like I have two kids and I can't even handle the two I have. And you have double that. Plus you have, you know, a child with special needs. 
And we would joke and say, we drink. And the other people would laugh and we would laugh and we would say, just kidding, until we stopped saying, just kidding. And we just would say, we drink. That's how we cope with the challenges we're faced with. You know, now that I'm on the other side of this, and I'll get into like sort of my epiphany for when I realized that it was time to stop drinking. I realized like how sad that is <laughs> that, you know, people could recognize that what we had were really tough challenges to, you know, overcome, but that alcohol was a perfectly acceptable solution for how we would cope with what we had in front of us. Nobody would like even bat an eye at the fact that that's what we would say. Most of the time people's response was, oh, I would, I don't blame you. I would drink too if I had your, you know, your challenges. And I think that's why we start stopped saying just kidding, because everybody we said that to thought it was funny and thought, you know, I don't blame you if anyone deserves to drink, it's you guys. And I feel like that's such a disservice because there obviously was such a better way. But we just thought, yeah, this is this is how we cope. Yeah, yeah. And that, that makes so much sense. And and somebody said a while back on the podcast, and it's something that's that stuck with me, but they were talking about kind of this this same moment and they said that now that they're in recovery that they're they're working on building a life where they no longer feel the need to escape from reality and mm. i think that's so like to me that just describes what recovery is to me i'm trying to rebuild my life and find healthy coping mechanisms where i no longer feel the need to turn to the drugs or the alcohol to escape whatever it is in my life that I, that makes me uncomfortable, that makes me want to escape, that makes me feel, I, I would, I, I guess I would even put like anxiety or depression or all those kind of things in that same category and whatever the, the things are in my life that I'm trying to get away from. Mm. And I think it's like so important to talk about that too, because that was creating, you know, turning to alcohol to sort of, overcome whatever challenges I had was actually just adding like gasoline to the fire, right? Like it wasn't really maybe for the 30 minutes or whatever it is that like you'd get to that peak, like, ah, oh, I feel like relaxed right now. It would just amplify, you know, either how I felt the next day, like how I could show up for my kids or God forbid they woke up in the middle of the night and needed me and I wasn't fully able to be present for them um, in those moments. It's like, we've also been sold this idea that like, here's, the, here's what's going to really help you when you're anxious, like drink some alcohol. <laughs> and then people wonder why like the next day they have like quadruple the amount of anxiety that they had before. And it's like scientifically proven. So like, why aren't we talking about this? Why aren't we talking about that? Like, you might feel great when you have that, you know, bottle of wine for like a tiny short amount of time, but like, you're going to feel 20 times worse on the other end of it. And it's not just because I'm saying so. It's like, that's what the science says. 
Yeah, and I've heard the analogy, and I feel like it's a perfect analogy that it's like using a credit card when you take that alcohol. That you have that instant gratification, and the pain goes away, but then that bill comes, and you got to pay pay it back plus interest. It's the same mm. with, with the alcohol. Like once once you sober up the next day, or or whenever you sober up, because I, I know for me there were sometimes where I just kept going for days and days and days, and would go on benders, but. Once once you sober up, you gotta you gotta deal with those feelings, and then you got to get that interest on top of it. You know all the other pain and and damage and things that you did while you were intoxicated that you might not even remember. Mm, totally, totally. I feel like my alcohol use just like ramped up. So like I was a probably pretty typical like college aged drinker at the time. I, I don't even know. I like I sort of wonder like where kids are at now, right? Like I'm obviously not in college now. So it'd be interesting to see if like what the culture is like because it was pretty massively ingrained in college life. I imagine it probably hasn't changed all that much. That it was just acceptable. That's what we were doing. And then like I said, going into sort of motherhood. And like, now I'm like a real adult, (laughs) Um, but still kind of acting like a college kid, right? Like I'm still drinking on the weekends. And then it sort of morphed into like, now I'm drinking on a random Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, because why not? Like I'm in charge. I'm an adult. Like I can decide for myself what is acceptable. It's interesting because when I started to sort of feel like this might be a little bit of a problem and I started to vocalize that to other people, I would say like, I think maybe I have a problem, which by the way, like, I feel like people who do not have an issue with addiction don't like Google, am I an alcoholic? Mm -hmm, Or mm -hmm. don't say to their friends, like, I think I might have a problem. Like they're not really thinking about it. It's not on the radar. So I would say that to people and people would say, well, like, it's not like you drink every night. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah, definitely drink every night. You know, or it's not a problem. It's not like you ever drink alone. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I never drink alone. Every time I would speak it out loud, the response that I would get for the evidence that I didn't have a problem just made me feel like I did even more. I was like, oh, okay. So clearly, even these people who think I don't have a problem actually just don't know how bad it really is, how how much I'm actually drinking because I was still able to get up and take care of my kids. I was able to go to work. I never got a DUI, probably because my husband drove me everywhere. Like he always was the one to drive and I was always too drunk to drive. So like I don't know that if I didn't have him whether I would have had it, I probably would have had a DUI, but I like had all of these sort of security blankets that were like preventing me from getting into the kind of trouble that made me seek help or realize that the problem was real. But that doesn't mean I didn't have a problem, right? It just means that like I had enough sort of, you know, I had enough like insurance that would buy me out of like whatever would have made it more obvious that the problem was real. And I think sometimes even still, when I have a conversation about my alcohol use, 
it's not in the terms of I had a problem, so I stopped. I think because people don't want to face their own struggles, people even like to characterize the fact that I stopped as you just decided to make a healthier choice. You didn't really have a problem. You just quit drinking because you decided it wasn't for you anymore and you wanted to make a healthier choice. But I feel like when people say that to me, it's because they don't necessarily want to like face their own reality that like maybe this isn't what I should be doing either, or maybe this isn't in my best interest, or maybe this is keeping me from the life that I truly desire. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's easier to see the faults of others than it is to see our own faults. And I'd be curious to know what the moment was like and what, where, where you turned to when you decided that you needed to stop drinking? Did you go back to AA because your brother had been there and you were familiar with that? Or what was your approach to recovery? So right before I stopped drinking for good, I, um, it was like the summer of, let's see, the summer of 2019. And I did a whole 30. And so I had done whole 30 before. I don't know if you um, know what whole 30 is, but it's like a, like a nutrition program where for 30 days you give up all these things and it's supposed to help you figure out what your body, how your body processes certain foods. And like, it's not really a weight loss program, although people do tend to lose weight on it, but it's more like, does my body agree with gluten or dairy? So you give up dairy, gluten, legumes, like you basically give up everything. You're eating nothing. But alcohol is also something you're not supposed to have when you, you're doing Whole30. So this time I did Whole30 was my third time doing it. And the only thing I had never been successful with eliminating was alcohol. So the other two times I did Whole30, you know, by day seven, I was like, I'm like giving up everything else on the list of, of things that you're not supposed to do on Whole30. I can have a drink. So I was never successful doing that, which was like a little internal whisper that like, why can't you give up alcohol for 30 days? Like you're really relying on it enough that like, that's the one thing that you can't, you know, stop doing. So this third time I tried Whole30, I was successful. I did not drink for those 30 days. And of course, then I had this internal chatter that like, maybe you don't have a problem because if you can give up alcohol for 30 days, alcoholics can't give up alcohol for 30 days. They would, they wouldn't be successful. So maybe you don't actually have a problem. Like you could just quit whenever you want. But on day 31, I start drinking again. We were on vacation. I was like, I made it the 30 days. I proved that I'm not an alcoholic, that I can manage this on my own. And so um, on day 31, I started drinking again. And I, it's safe to say that there may have been a day or two after that, that I didn't drink, but it also may be true that I drank every single day from the time day 31 hit until I decided this is it. I can't do this anymore. When you give up alcohol, alcohol is in the room down the hall, doing push-ups, waiting, getting stronger for you to come back so that it really can overpower you. And that's what happens. I gave it up for 30 days. I, you know, welcomed it back into my life and it made the problem 
so much worse than it had ever been prior to that. So I was probably drinking four or five doubles. So my drink of choice was Tito's. I thought I was the smartest person in the world because it was something that I could drink and I wouldn't get a hangover the next day. I think I was just like perpetually hungover. I don't think I wasn't getting a hangover. I think I just didn't realize that like I felt worse than I could have felt. (laughs) So I thought, oh, I don't have a hangover. I probably just was always hungover. We were going through at least a handle, maybe two of Tito's every week. So I would go over my friend's house and like the same bottle of Tito's that she had bought for her like summer party. And it was like Christmas time would be like half empty on the counter. And I'd be like, that's the same bottle of Tito's you had before. That's insane. And so just, you know, like I said, after I I stopped for those 30 days, I didn't have a problem. I went back to drinking. And then on January 1st of 2020, my son that I referenced before, his name is Anthony. We're frequent flyers at Boston Children's Hospital. So like, I can't tell you the number of times that we've been impatient there. He was sick with, get this, a very mysterious respiratory illness that wasn't RSV and it wasn't the flu and it wasn't pneumonia. It was just a very strange respiratory infection that nobody could kind of pinpoint. And it was January of 2020. I've been told that it's impossible that it was COVID because COVID didn't come, didn't arrive to the United States until March, but I'm pretty sure it was probably COVID that he had. Um, So we went inpatient January 1st of 2020. And I said, this is my opportunity. How much prettier? I guess I like things like neat and pretty. Could it be that I would give up drinking alcohol on January 1st, which is also my son's birthday? I knew we would be impatient for like quite a few days. So that made sort of that first week, I wasn't probably going to be able to drink anyway, although I probably could have found a way. Let's just really face this. And and now is the time. That's it. That was nearly three years ago. I won't tell you. That's it. It was so easy. I just decided on January 1st of 2020, I was going to never drink alcohol again. And I didn't. And it's been rainbows and unicorns ever since. I'm not going to lie to you. It wasn't like that at all. But that was sort of the turning point where I said, if you're ever going to live the life that you truly desire, and if you're ever going to do any of the things that you put on this list of like, someday I'm going to write a book, someday I'm going to start a podcast, someday I'm going to do this, that, and the other with my life, this is the only way. And so I decided that was sort of just like decision day. I decided. I do understand how sort of cocky it is to say I'll never drink again and how we really cannot determine what our future looks like. And I think it's very sort of a slippery slope to say like, no, this is like a forever decision. But in the beginning, I had to make it that because I knew if I said, well, I'm just going to try and stop drinking for like this week that he's in the hospital and then I'll see how it goes. I would have gone back for sure. It needed to be like, no, this is like, you cannot drink anymore. You have to like make this not a part of your life anymore. Because I don't think, had I sort of played with the idea that this was temporary, it probably would have been temporary. So I had to, in the beginning, just say like, no, this is, and I had people ask me, 
So is this just like for a little while? What are you going to do when you go to a wedding? What are you going to do when, when it's New Year's Eve and there's a champagne toast? Like you're never, you're never going to drink again. And I was like, I have to say that because if I have all these, the list of reasons why I could just drink for that one occasion or that one thing would be endless. And I was never one to be like a just one, like just one glass of wine. I'll just have one glass. Or like, I'll just drink for like one day of the vacation and the rest of the days I won't drink. I was more the, you know, when you're pregnant, you can have a glass of wine. My response would be like, who the hell wants a glass of wine? I don't want a glass of wine. I want a bottle of wine. What's the point of just having one glass? So I wasn't sort of a, I'll just have one drink at dinner and that will be enough for me. I was the drinker who was when my husband and I would go out, he would say, do you think you could just have like one or two drinks tonight instead of like six drinks? And then you pass out on the way home and I have to drive 40 minutes from the city to our house by myself because you're passed out in the seat next to me. And even when I would assure him that, yeah, no, no, I don't want to drink a lot tonight. I would inevitably be in that position where he would be like, okay, I'm driving 45 minutes home by myself because my wife has passed out. And now when we get home, she's going to have to go through the basement. So the babysitter doesn't see how shit face she is. I wasn't like, let's just try to moderate kind of girl. No, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I had a conversation in the early days with my dad and I, I was like, how, what is it like to be able to go and just have like one or two drinks? I've never I don't think I've ever drank and not gotten drunk. I, yeah. I just don't know how to do that. I, yeah. I don't see the the draw to that. I don't understand why anyone would want to do that. Yeah. The goal is to get intoxicated and not feel the same way. Totally. Absolutely. And I could say like, oh, I like the taste of this drink, but like not better than other refreshing beverages like that was it was definitely the way it made me feel that was more the draw to it than anything so when i decided that i was done i think this is another this for me was like my own indicator that it had been a problem i was like really really sad it was probably like the worst sort of breakup i had ever experienced i thought I was never going to be fun again. And I would say that I'm just not going to be fun anymore. Like I'm going to be a nice person. I'm going to be a healthy person. I'm going to be a good person, but I just won't be fun. I'm just, I'm giving up alcohol because it's the right thing for me. And I'm also giving up any chance that anything will ever be fun ever again. (laughs) Um, And I would wake up in the morning and it was the first thing I thought about. And it was the only thing I've thought about all day, every day was like the way I looked at it then was the sad reality that this thing that I had like loved so much was no longer a part of my life. And so my husband actually gave up drinking too, but he was a take it or leave it kind of guy. I actually was kind of pissed at him <laughs> when he gave up alcohol because it wasn't hard for him. So I would wake up in the morning and I would be like, wanting to talk about it with him. So I would say like, aren't you so sad? Aren't you sad? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I'm just so sad. Like I'm never going to be able to drink again. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm not sad. And I'm like, and I was mad because I was like, 
well, it's not the same for you. I just felt like something that I loved so much was like not a part of my life anymore. And I would just play this over and over in my head every day where I would say like, I would think of a new scenario of like how it was like now ruined for me because I had made this decision. And then I'd go back and forth with thoughts that like, well, maybe I actually don't have a problem. And maybe this doesn't have to be forever. Because, and I would list all the reasons why. Or then I would say, maybe I'm just being dramatic. Maybe I want attention. Maybe giving up alcohol is a way for me to like get people's attention and think that I'm like this good person because sometimes I was met with like praise for giving up drinking, right? Like, wow, that's so admirable or you're so strong. So then inside I would say, am I doing it because people are reacting in this way? So there was a lot of sort of spiraling in my mind about like what this meant about me. And it became this ruminating, like spiraling series of thoughts that would just consume all of my days every day until it wasn't, right? Until it became sort of this like little tiny part of me that is probably pretty significant and pretty important, but like, I don't have to talk about it all the time. It doesn't have to be like the only thing about me anymore. And I think part of that is time. I think I just needed time to like settle into this like new version of myself. I love what you shared and it's, it's so important and we're getting towards the end of our time, but I would love to give you the opportunity to talk about the podcast, the warrior within us, how you decided to start that. I know before we started recording, you said you've been doing it for about a year now. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And maybe you could let the listeners know if they're interested, where they can find that. And then, and then if there's any social media or website or anything else that they could contact you at. Yeah, absolutely. So I really do have my breakup with alcohol to thank for these sort of new and exciting experiences that I have brought into my life since then. Turns out I'm still really fun. (laughs) So um, that was like a really huge win for me that like I could actually meet myself and realize that like I didn't need alcohol to be this the fun person. Obviously fun is really important to me. It's one of the things that like I feel is really important in life. So learning that I'm still fun was uh, really um, beneficial for me. So the the podcast, The Warrior Within Us, I um, had always thought about doing big things, right? Like I thought about having a podcast probably for 10 years before I ever started my podcast. And um, I will say that it never would have happened if I didn't quit drinking because it took up a lot of my time. And I actually was also recently diagnosed with ADHD. So I think I know all the things I can do. I just don't do them. So, you know, I filled my time with drinking instead of these things that I was really interested in doing. So I sort of came up with the idea for the worry within us because I love meeting people. I love getting into like real conversation with people, not just like, what's the weather like, or like, what's your favorite restaurant or any of the like more, um, you know, surface level stuff. I like to really get in there, talk about like, what challenges have you overcome? 
So I decided that that was sort of the format for what I wanted my podcast to be about, because I feel like when we talk about this stuff, like it really gets rid of any kind of shame. Even if somebody hears this podcast episode and they don't even like alcohol, they don't even drink alcohol. It's never been a a thing for them. It's never been an issue for them. There's probably something in my story that they're going to resonate with and they're going to say, wow, like that sounds familiar to me or I can understand that. But for me, it was something else, a job I really hate that I had to get rid of, whatever it is. So I feel like for me, when we share our stories, we really find that connection that we're all sort of seeking in life. And the reason it's called The Warrior Within Us is my maiden name is Guerrero, which translates uh, from Italian to mean warrior. So I was like, what more perfect name to name my podcast than The Warrior Within Us? And I really do feel that all of us have challenges in life, right? Like if you're a human being, you're going to have a human experience and there's going to be something in life that throws you a curve that you're going to have to overcome. When I ask people to be on my podcast, like sometimes I'll ask somebody that I just think is a really interesting person that I like talking to and they'll say, but I don't really know what my warrior story is. But when they think about it, everybody comes up with something that makes them feel like resilient or strong. But sometimes they just have to like tap into what that means for them. I also, when I quit drinking, decided to step into a career as a coach. So I do life coaching. I coach people who want to step into a version of themselves that they really desire. So whether that means like they want to get rid of something that isn't really serving them, or it means that they want to, like I said, step into something that they're really keep sort of whispering in their ear about, you really want to do this thing. You just don't really know the steps to take to get there. But again, something I never would have done if I was spending all of my free time getting drunk. (laughs) So I have my recovery to thank for allowing me to really step into this version of myself that I can be excited about and I can be proud of. Mm, I love that. I love that. And where can we find your podcast? So wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, Spotify, Apple, just search The Warrior Within Us. I am on Instagram. My handle on Instagram is at Kristen Mick, which is K-R-I-S-T-I-N-M-I-C. I'm also on TikTok. You might see me, you know, being my wild, fun self without alcohol at the age of almost 43. My kids are really embarrassed by the fact that I have TikTok, <laughs> but it's um, it's fine. It's okay. I love meeting new people. If you have a warrior story that you'd like to share, I love to have people on my podcast. And You don't have to be a professional anything to have a conversation with me. If you have a story you'd love to share, I would love to hear from you. And if you need sort of a guiding hand to support you through whatever you might be um, dealing with. I also would love to hear from you for that as well. I love that that you offer that service and wanting to help people better their lives and help break those habits and and just sounds like live a, a healthier, happier life. And I think that that's a, a great thing. And it sounds like it's something that you're 
very passionate about. And I'm so grateful that you came on the show today and, and shared part of your story with us. So thank you again for coming on the show, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for what you do. I think it really does make a huge difference just to allow people to share their story and then have other people hear a piece of themselves in other people's stories. I once heard that connection is really the key to happiness, connection and and finding purpose. Somebody said once that the opposite of depression isn't happiness, but it's purpose. And so just finding your purpose and in, in helping people share their stories, I think is sort of contagious, right? It's mutually beneficial. You let somebody tell their story and then you share that story and it helps somebody else. And like, hopefully that's how we're going to change the world. And connection and purpose are such a huge, huge thing. And I, I love that you're, you're talking about that. And I think it's so important that we, that we continue to share our stories. And like you said, that's the way we're going to change the world is by everybody just little little moves everybody does their part and then eventually things are going to change so I, I appreciate appreciate you coming on and sharing with us absolutely thank you so much for having me Kristen thank you so much for coming on the show today it was an absolute pleasure talking with you if you guys are interested in finding out more about Kristen's coaching or her podcast be sure to check out the links in the show notes You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.